You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. If you have been away for a variety of reasons for the last couple weeks, you know, what different circumstances did not provide Sunday morning experiences to be very convenient the last couple weeks. There was this thing called a heat wave. It was a hundred and a you know, bajillion degrees outside, and you might have wanted to find shelter uh, at a lake or a river or something. Uh, last Sunday was the 4th of July. I, I just encourage you to go on our website or to go on our YouTube page and watch the sermons, the messages, the services from the last few weeks. They've been really good. They've been really good. Uh, and you don't want to miss out. You want to stay current with what we're communicating to. You want to stay current with what God is doing. And so I just encourage you that we have podcasts, we have our YouTube page, we have our website as easy ways for you to stay uh, current with what is being said or what's happening here. So if you miss, that's a great way to catch up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I like to do this. I like to get you up for a moment because now you're about to sit for a little while. And we're just going to pray before we jump in to the word of God. Amen. Why don't you just put your focus on the Lord with me and just let's just get our hearts ready to receive from him today. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we set our focus on you. We look to you, Lord. You're where our help comes from. Lord, you're our refuge. You're our rock. You're our strength. You're our source, our satisfaction. And Lord God, we long for more of you. Provoke us with more hunger for you, Lord. Lord, I ask for every person here, every person watching and listening, God, to get a taste of you, to experience your presence. God, that we grow in hunger and passion for you and, des- and desire for more of you. God, that we can be a people that you want to hang out with and dwell with, that we can be a people that you can trust with more of yourself. Lord, we give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today, I, I'm not going to preach anything that you've probably never heard before. Maybe for some of you, a couple of you, maybe it will be new. But for most of you that have been a part of the Promised Church, even for just a couple months, you might have heard some of these things spoken on before. But I felt the urgency in my heart to review some things, to remind us of some things, to encourage us us in some things, to make sure that we know who we are, to know where God is calling us, and to to jump in with all that we have. Amen? And so I just encourage you to not allow any familiarity to rob you of what God could do in you in a fresh way today. His word is alive, which means it stays fresh and current. We're the only ones that allow his word to become stale in our lives because his word never fails, it never becomes stale. In order for us as a church to build culture, in order for us as a church to to be able to establish culture, we must all be going the same direction with the same heartbeat. And and for that to happen, there's going to be these moments of, hey, remember this. Hey, just for review. 
Because we can easily go about our business, we can easily get into a rut or a routine, we can easily get into a place of checking a box and kind of go into this robotic mode of forgetting what we're doing and why we're doing it. Or we're doing things and we're just going through the motions. And, and this is not who we are. We, we, we say this a lot, but the prom, at the Promise Church, we don't play games. We don't play church. We're on mission. We have a reason and a purpose for why we're here. And it isn't just to come together and check a box and have a good time. It is to love Jesus with all that we have and to make him known in our world. And so I just want to remind you of some of these things today. I want to talk to you about being people of his presence. Here at the Promise Church, we, we say we desire to see lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won by being people of his presence. This is who we are. This is what God has called us to do and to be. And so in order for us to walk this out and accomplish this, we must realize what this looks like and begin to live this out of what it means to be people of the presence of God. A few weeks ago, I shared with you our core values, or reminded us, reminded us of our core values, where we've been on this journey for the last year and a half to two years of saying, God, we don't want you just to visit, we want you to stay. God, we don't want to just uh, be a place of a visitation, we want to be a habitation that you want to dwell, you want to live with us. And to be a people of his presence in that way. And I shared how these core values are first love is number one. That we would be a people of first love where we love the Lord first and most. And we recognize our first and greatest calling. Our first and greatest ministry is to love the Lord. And from there, we cultivate a continued culture and hunger of our hearts. That we are a hungry people. That we are hungry for more of God. May it not be said of us, as Jacob said in Genesis 28, I was in the presence of God and I did not know it. When you are hungry, you recognize his presence and you run after him. That we would not become familiar, we would not become complacent, we would not settle for just something that we are, you know, that we're used to or that we, we are comfortable with and enjoy. We, we will be as your pastors and as your leaders, ones that provoke you into a place of uncomfortability because we'd rather have this be a place where God is comfortable to be himself than for you to be comfortable. Number three is holiness. God is holy, and he invites us into his nature to be like him as holy. And he never asks us to do something that is impossible to do without him. He wants us to depend on him to walk out the gift of righteousness and holiness that he has given us. It is impossible for you to be holy apart from the Lord. You can strive and work as much as you want and be disciplined in a lot of areas and still not walk out all that God invites you into. But when you tap into him and dependent on him, then all of a sudden you're able to walk in the divine nature, which in him and his divine nature, you've been given all that you need for life and godliness. Number four is humility. 
And so he's holy. His nature is holy. His character is humble. Jesus said, I am meek and humble of heart. And if you come to me, you'll find rest for your soul. When, when you come to the Lord and you find that rest in who he is, there is a humility that you will begin to walk into. There is a poor in spirit place. There is this place of, of, not, of being willing to be corrected, being willing to be taught, allowing the Lord to transform you into the image of Christ. Woohoo! All right. Number five is honor. That we first and foremost honor the Lord with what he has given us and for who he is. And then we honor those around us. And we, and we honor in love and in serving. And in that place of humility as well, we follow the example of Jesus who came to serve and not be served. And so we're willing to humble ourselves and serve those around us and honor them in that place. So this is our core values, but I want to dive into a little bit of a deeper place of talking about being a people of the presence of God. When you have core values in your life, when you value something, often what you do becomes automatic. You don't have to think about it because you have a value established in your life. If you have a value of holiness, then sin and and unrighteousness and temptation really isn't even tempting because you are like, no, I don't want anything to do with that because I know that will violate who I am and violate my relationship with the Lord. And these things need to begin to become second nature to us in many ways and and for them to be cultivated in our hearts and in our lives. My my hope, my desire... in sharing some of these thoughts for you that, again, could be review, is to provoke you to hunger, to provoke you to want more of the Lord, to get you unsettled, to get you desirous for more of the Lord. Otherwise, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Before we begin to read in verse 1 of Exodus 33, I just want to bring you up to speed of what's happening in this story, in this passage where we're starting. The people of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Moses has gone up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He's up there for 40 days. He receives the Ten Commandments, and, and God tells him, the people of Israel have turned away from me and have began to worship an idol. They were tired of waiting for Moses to come down. They did not know how long it would take for him to come, and so they became impatient, and they created a golden calf idol and began to worship it, saying, this was the God that brought you up out of Egypt. And, and God wants to take them all out and start over with just Moses. And Moses intercedes and he intervenes and he says, no, God, have mercy on your people. That will bring shame upon your name if, all, if you wipe them all out. And, and, and God had mercy. Okay? So this is where we pick up here in chapter 33 in verse 1. This is what the Lord says to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and Parasites. Praise God. All the ites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Some of you are all laughing, but this is this is this is real. 
All right? I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, I'd be like shaking in my boots. Okay, this is your God. Now, verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. Verse 6, so the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now there's this like I don't know, intermission in the story, this little pause, this little window that, that we get to look into right now, starting in verse 7, where it like shows Moses' interaction and relationship with the Lord, okay? Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, remember a couple weeks ago I talked about when you need to interpret the Bible literally, there was a literal cloud pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to their tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, okay, sorry, verse 12. We kind of like intermission over back into the story that we were reading at the beginning. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, after God told him about, I'm, you, you go from here, I'm going to send an angel. This is Moses' response. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. This must be a prayer that we constantly pray unto the Lord. Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you. It says in Psalms 103 that the people, the Israel, knew the deeds, the works of God, but Moses knew his ways. There's something deeper than just knowing what God can do or has done. All right, verse 13. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. We have this amazing story here, this amazing picture of what really mattered to Moses. I don't understand the, the, how it all came to pass and why it was put in this order in this way, where that story from verses 7 to 11 of describing Moses' interaction with God was put right in the middle of these two pieces of the story. But I think that it was put there 
to reveal what mattered most to Moses. Why Moses made this stand to say, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't take us anywhere. Because he was a man that stood face to face in the presence of God as a man speaks to a friend. Number one, a people of his presence have a singleness of focus. They are a people who are after and are about one thing, and that's the presence of God. They're after Jesus more than anything or anyone else. Again, we've said this before, you cannot separate the presence of God from the person of God. So when we say the presence of God is here, we mean God is in the room. And in a healthy place, a healthy expression of God, there will be an equal emphasis of the presence in an experiential way and the word of God in an experiential way. But it's meant to be experiential. Not meant to be just intellectual. There's a lot of intellectual people who know a lot of information and they have never experienced God. And here Moses makes basically a declaration to say, God, I want you more than the promise. I want you more than success. He was guaranteed success. I will send an angel before you, and he will lead you into the promised land, and essentially you will have your inheritance. What I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will come to pass. This angel will lead you in. You'll have success. He'll drive everything out before you. And Moses said, no. Moses said, God, I'd rather have your presence than a promise fulfilled in my life. I'd rather have your presence than success. And often in our American church expression, we value success and we value promises being fulfilled in our lives or through a church expression more than the actual manifestation of the presence of God. That means it is very valuable to define what success is. What is success in our perspective as your pastors and leaders? What are we after? When, when a Sunday ends, what do we walk away with saying, that was awesome. For me, I know it's like, Lord, did you feel honored today? Were you pleased with our worship today? Were you accurately represented by your people today? Not how many people are in the room, not how much was given on the offering. When the presence of God shows up and manifests, and he manifests himself, there is measurable results. Salvation, healing, deliverance, joy, peace, love. These happen in our lives, through our lives, in our midst, when his presence comes. And I'm thankful that you're here for 
For some of you, I haven't felt like I haven't seen you in a while. Thank you, 4th of July, for falling on a Sunday. So we're grateful that people decide to come. But that's not what moves us. God, did you show up today? Were you there? Were you tangible today? We're after one thing, and it's him. And I encourage you, I I implore you to redefine what success looks like in your life. To value him above a promise fulfilled. Because you could accomplish a lot of things. You can have a lot of success of what the world defines success. You can see words and prophecies and and things spoken of your life that you're holding on to for promises and still be able to see them without the manifest presence of God. Abram, in Genesis 15, had no sons. And God comes to him and says, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. And the first thing that Abram says is, I don't have a son. Eliezer, my servant, is going to be the heir. I don't have a son. And God says, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Abram began to immediately think about what he didn't have versus what he had. He had the Lord as his very great reward. He is our reward. He is the ultimate treasure. He is the treasure in the field. That when you find him, you sell everything that you have with joy and have him. And Abram, in this place of impatience and wanting the promise fulfilled in his life, he tried to make it happen in his own effort, his own strategy, and his own strength. And he had a son through Hagar. So what he didn't have for a long time, he all of a sudden had, but it wasn't from in the presence of the Lord. It wasn't with the Lord. It was in himself. So essentially, a promise was fulfilled. He had a son. He didn't have it before, but he didn't go about it within the presence of the Lord. Psalms 27, verse 4. May this be a heart's cry for us. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. In the Old Testament, the house of the Lord, the temple represented the presence of God. That is where the manifest presence of God rested and stayed, was in the house of the Lord. So when David's writing this, he's essentially saying, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may live in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him while I'm in his presence. I am reminded of the scripture in Psalms 84. Better is one day in your house, better is one day in your presence, God, than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day with you, Lord, than anything else. I'm reminded of Mary of Bethany in Luke chapter 10, where she sits at the feet of Jesus and she listens to his voice and she's fully enamored with him and and beholding him with her gaze and 
Martha's doing a bunch of things and is distracted, and she comes and rebukes Mary in front of Jesus, and Jesus ends up rebuking her and saying, only one thing is needed. Only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the one thing, and it won't be taken from her. What was that? Beholding Jesus, listening to him in his presence. This is, must be our heart's cry as a people of the presence of God. There, there must be this simplicity of heart, this singleness of focus. Number two, people of his presence are different than the world. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, what will distinguish us than any other nation? We gathering here today, if the presence of God is not in our midst, we are a weird social club. What makes us any different than the Elks Club? Than a, than a um, help me somebody, Rotary Club, than, than a... Oh, Lord. Wow, this is embarrassing. <laughs> then a fitness club. Except that we don't maybe make you exercise. I had a list of clubs, and they just vanished from my mind in a moment. Maybe the Lord didn't want me to offend all of you who are part of different kinds of clubs. But we must have his presence. A song never changed anybody's life. A sermon, the best of sermons, never changed anybody's life. A strategy never changed anybody's life. Only the presence of God moving through a song, moving through a sermon has ever changed anybody's life. On my best of days with the best of insights and strategies into crafting this wonderfully communicated sermon and message to you has never done anything. His presence through the scripture is what changes a life. His presence through a worship leader who cultivates the secret place with the Lord and people are brought into that place is what changes people's lives. And we must recognize as a people of the presence of God that Jesus Christ and his gospel are the only solution to the problems of mankind. That we have the answer. We have the solution. And it's him. And Jesus says about us as his disciples, as his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And to be a city on a hill that shines bright for the Lord because we're meant to be different. We're meant to have something that distinguishes us from everybody else. And if we don't, we aren't valuing his presence properly. Now we are all in this place of being conformed into the image of Christ, all in this place of being saved and sanctification where God renews our minds and we are no longer being conformed to the pattern of this world, that we are being transformed to be like Jesus, okay? So I, I give, I understand that all of us are in a different place, a different stage maybe in that process, but we must embrace that process. We must surrender fully to it. If we are choosing to worship the Lord and surrender, then we will embrace this transformation that takes place in our lives. 
I have scriptures that I'm skipping. Praise God. Number three. Number three. People of his presence are desperate for more. Are desperate for more. Moses is in the glory of the Lord, in the, in the cloud of the presence. He's on the mountain for 40 days, receiving the law from God. And in this moment, he sees this window of favor where the Lord responds to his cry, saying, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't take us anywhere. I want your presence, God, more than anything else. And God answers that cry. And Moses is like, he answered my prayer. I want more. And he says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. There must be something in us that does not get comfortable or complacent and yearns for more. Jeffrey talked about this this brokenness of the soul. It isn't a place of brokenness as the result of fallenness and brokenness as the result of sin. It is a wounded heart that longs for more of the Lord. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He calls us friends, and he wants to wound you in a place where you are desperate for more of him. I'm just going to say this. Desperation looks like something. I don't care what your personality is. If you know me and my personality, I'm not intense and crazy all the time. Just usually up here. Or when I worship. Or you put a basketball in my hand. But desperation looks like something. It doesn't look like this in worship. I'm just being real with you. Like, do you know who you're worshiping? You have been invited into the invitation and possibility of deeply knowing the creator of the universe. He can be known, deeply known, personally known. And he invites you. And I feel like we get so comfortable with him. If I was to go to a really great restaurant and I was to tell you, oh my gosh, I went to this place. The food is incredible. It's amazing. The, the, the options for drinks there are awesome and, and, and they're so satisfying. The desserts will blow your mind. It's, it's so good and guess what? It's free. You would run there right after the service. And somehow we have forgotten that we've been invited into a place of knowing the wellspring of life, of knowing the bread of life, of knowing the one that will actually satisfy your soul fully and completely. And he offers himself to you freely. And we just wanna come and like enjoy a good service. I know many of you are here because you've left somewhere because you were hungry for more. 
You wanted to come to a place that will challenge you, that will encourage you and help you to grow. But I challenge you afresh. Don't stop there. Be provoked with hunger. Become desperate for more. Don't get satisfied, but be satisfied in him. When I think of desperation, my mind immediately goes to the person of Hannah in 1 Samuel, where she, in desperation, was misunderstood and thought to be drunk as she prayed to the Lord asking for a child. But before that moment, she was in a place of jealousy, envy, and self-pity because her rival was fruitful and had several children and she was barren and she wanted to have a child. And there's this moment where she's refusing to eat and participate in the meal of worship with the family and her husband comes to her and he says to her, am I not more valuable to you than 10 sons? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? In that moment, we don't see it articulated verbatim in scripture, but there was a change, there was a shift that took place in her expression and in her attitude and what she did. She left from that place and began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him fully to you. Without the guarantee or the promise of another child, she was willing to give whatever God would give her fully to the Lord. In a place of finding satisfaction in your husband, Jesus, because as the church, we're the bride of Christ. As you find that place of him being more to you than 10 whatever things God could give you. And in a place of desperation to say, God, whatever I have, whatever you give me, I want to give it fully to you. I surrender it to you for your use, for your purposes. No matter if I ever receive anything else again, I've given it to you. Then all of a sudden, the Lord can entrust you with that promise. He can entrust you with that dream. He can entrust you with that vision. He can entrust you with that blessing. And she cries out in desperation. Her desperation came in satisfaction and came in humility of wanting to bring glory to God. It didn't come in self-pity. It didn't come in a selfish agenda. It didn't come for her own glory. She cried out in desperation, was misunderstood, thought to be drunk. And I'm telling you, when you are passionate and desperate for God, you will be misunderstood. Be ready for it. Don't feel like you have to justify it. Don't feel like you have to explain a bunch. Just say, man, I'm, I'm hungry for more of the Lord. There's this burning inside of me. If I could just give you a part of it, I would. But you have to cultivate it yourself. You have to go out and get hungry yourself. I can't just take what is inside of me and put it in you. You gotta want it yourself. Some of you are like, I'm struggling to spend time alone with God. I'm struggling to be in the scriptures. I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling in worship. What do I do? Go do it. I don't know how to read the scripture. You aren't gonna learn unless you read it. I don't know how to worship. I, I struggle with worship. Start worshiping. I'm struggling to pray. I don't know what to do. Pray. 
You're like, this, that doesn't make any sense. But it's true. It's real. In most cases, normal situations of a couple, a married couple, are struggling in the relationship and they're struggling to spend in, in, in their time spent together and they're, they're, they're bickering and they're, they're fighting and there's all, these, all this strife. Under normal circumstances, we would strongly say, go get time alone with each other. You're struggling, don't distance, don't separate, get alone and work on it. Some of you are like, I- I'm struggling with this, I- I- I'm struggling with that with the Lord. Get alone, try it again, get desperate. I'm telling you, it it will be explosive in this place if we all, if we all come into this place not to check a box, not to enjoy something, but to worship the Lord. Truly worship the Lord because again, desperation, hunger looks like something. It's not my personality. It's not my preference. You can't say that when you get to heaven. I'm just gonna give you an insight right now. That won't work when you're in the throne room. God, it's not my personality to fall on my face before you in worship. You will just do it. So I recommend practicing now. And all of a sudden the throne room will be here. Psalms 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Last point. Number four. People of his presence are actively waiting. Waiting in scripture is very different than waiting in our culture and society. We will create every technological way to eliminate waiting in our time. My, one of my favorite apps to use is the Burgerville app. Praise the Lord. You all sit in that drive through for 20 minutes. I order my food, I drive there and I get it in 30 seconds. Oh yeah, sorry, down the secret's out. Waiting in scripture equals seeking. Waiting is not passive, it is active. It is a posture of pursuit. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about that the Lord gave me a message for y'all called Jesus Our Rock, because many of you are in a place of waiting. You're in a, in a season of waiting for something, for God to speak to you, for what's next, for direction, for a promise to be fulfilled. And that waiting isn't sitting around on your hands. It is actively pursuing and seeking God. Psalms 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole 
being waits and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Notice you can't wait with your whole being passively. The watchmen waiting for the morning were not passively waiting, they were attentive. Lamentations 3, 25, you can see this connection between waiting and seeking. you, You know this is good when I'm reading out Lamentations, praise the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God isn't going to change the culture of the kingdom in order to be conducive to our societal trends of trying to eliminate waiting. He's going to make you change to his culture. In this place of going from glory to glory, right? We, by beholding the Lord as in looking in a mirror, we are transformed from glory to glory. What are we transformed into? The image of Christ. The way you become more like Jesus is beholding him and he makes you more like him from glory to glory. In the glory to glory process, there is often a lot of waiting in between each glory to glory. But I'm here to encourage you. The Lord is hiding in plain sight. He is not hiding so that you will never find him. He is wanting you to find him. But he is putting himself in a place where you must seek him. Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He is hiding in plain sight. He is inviting us to seek him more. He's inviting us to be desperate for more. Will we respond to the invitation? Will we respond to him? Will we be people of his presence that are after one thing, that are marked by the presence of God, that that don't settle for anything less, but are desperate for more, that are willing to wait, unlike the people of Israel who were unwilling to wait for Moses to come down the mountain. They became impatient and they went into idolatry. We're willing to wait like the, the early church who waited for the Holy Spirit to come as they waited in the upper room. They didn't know how long they were going to be waiting for, but they waited and God came upon them. They didn't sit in that room for 10 days doing nothing. It says that they devoted themselves to prayer. They sought the Lord. Jesus waits to be wanted. He seeks to be sought and he longs to be longed for. And he's inviting you to himself. He's inviting all of us to be a people of his presence. That he can entrust himself to us where he can trust us with more of himself. And if we will respond, if we will be hungry and desperate, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we will see lives transformed. We will see cities saved and we will see nations won. Will you stand with me? 
We're about to go into a time of worship. And I, I don't know how else to say it besides church. Let's be hungry. Let's be desperate. Let's go after the Lord. It doesn't matter what song they chose. I don't know which one they're, they're doing right now. It doesn't matter the notes. It doesn't matter the style. It doesn't matter how loud it is. It's a posture of your heart to say, God, I want you. I want to know you. I want to see you move in my generation, in my lifetime. I want to see you, God. I want to experience your presence. I want you to mark me with your presence, God, that when I go into the grocery store, when I'm with my family, when I go to my workplace, people can see you on me. So I invite you to come to the front. I invite you to go into the aisles. I invite you to go after the Lord, to worship Him with all that you have, to say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. And I'm not playing games. I'm not playing church. I want you, Lord. I want you more than anything else. For you are the only one worthy. You are the only one good. And Lord, I desire you above all else. You're my treasure. You're my great reward. God, more than any promise, more than any success, I want your presence. Jesus, put that desperation in us, Lord. Put that hunger in us, God. Put that simple, that simple focus, that singleness of focus. To say, God, we're after one thing. God, we're after you. God, we long for you. We worship you. Come on, church, let's worship the Lord.
everybody in this room, lift your hands to the Lord. Everybody in the room, every single person in the room, lift your hands to Jesus. Come on, just continue to sing, great are you, Lord. for our church that Jesus is starving us out of a satisfied state so that we can become desperate for him let me say it again that Jesus is starving you out of a satisfied state out of a complacent comfortable state to be desperate for him 
in this moment right now, there are many of you who are thinking in your head, I wish I could look foolish for the Lord. But pride and fear and personality issues, that's not me, that's not how I am. They go through your mind and you're reasoning away looking foolish to the Lord. I will look very undignified for Jesus and I will, I will throw fear of man away. Some of you in this room need to come and lay fear of men at the altar this morning and kill it. You need to kill it. The Promise Church isn't about creating a place for you to feel comfortable. It's about creating a place for Him to feel comfortable. So I will not worship so that I look good or that I feel comfortable. I will worship Him because He is worthy. lift a shout of praise to the Lord and when we're shouting many of you are gonna you already are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart to come up to the front I want you to run to the front I want you to run out of your chair and run up to the front because you need to die to the fear of man the fear of man is the plague that stops desperation for Jesus because you'll reason away why it's foolish. You'll reason away why it's not for you. Are you with me? I don't want to hear from those who are in the front. Are you with me? How do you want your life to be known? This morning, let's make our life known at least in this room, that we are about one thing, and it is Jesus. So everybody in this room, lift your hands and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that every fear, every spirit of fear leave, every spirit of fear go, every spirit of pride go. God, we are here for you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that the fire of God, the fire of God come and touch this room in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Let's lift up a shout of praise to the Lord.
Christ, everybody in this room, don't you put your hands out, don't you begin to ask for more. Begin to ask for more. Put your hands up. Say, Holy Spirit, I need more. I need another touch in my life. Holy Spirit, send your fire upon me. Come on, if you want it, begin to ask for it. If you want it, begin to ask for it. Holy Spirit, send your fire. God, come and burn in me. God, come and mark me this morning. God, come and burn in me. God, a hunger that cannot be quenched, that cannot be satisfied with anything but you. God, come, come, come upon us, Holy Spirit. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Come upon me, Holy Spirit. Come and burn in me. Come and burn in me. God, come and burn in me. Make us like Elijah's, that even though we can't see the rain, God, I can hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I can hear the sound of the fire of God coming. I can hear the sound of the floodgates opening, God. Let our ears be open this morning to believe. Let our ears be open this morning to have faith for more. Send your fire, God. Send your fire, God. Send your fire, God. Make us become more like you. God, I'm ready. 